Good morning. Thanks for coming out on this blustery morning. If you uh, haven't, if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name indeed is Doug Erickson, as these wonderful ladies introduced, not John Kluwer, as maybe some of you were hoping. Uh, my wife, uh, Sandy, and I have been a part of this community for about 14 years, but we've been in the vineyard movement for about 30 years, and we've been in churches in Wisconsin, in Minnesota, in California, and I love the Vineyard Movement. Uh, I love our emphasis on the kingdom of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I love it so much that I started to study it academically for eight years. And I earned a master's degree in theology and a doctor, then went on, studied in doctoral dissertation. I wrote my doctoral dissertation on the kingdom of God and the Vineyard Movement. And uh, shameless plug, I also rewrote my dissertation in a popular level format that you can buy for yourself in the lobby, in the bookstore as well. But before I get too far together, I wanted to bring something to you because of our relationships and folks that we know across the Vineyard Movement. You need to know that there are people all over the world that are praying for us as a community. We have friends in Australia and Sweden and Germany and Spain and Mexico that are holding us, holding you in this difficult time that we've going, been going through. And I find a lot of comfort in that and I hope you do as well. Now, some time ago, John approached me and asked if I wanted to do one of these series in this uh, lament series, one of these topics, and I looked through the list of topics, and I remembered, I saw the one on sin, right, on lamenting our sin, and I remembered that old speaking advice, talk about what you know, <laughs> so I thought, this is one that I know, this is one that I know very well. And so, well, our topic is lamenting our sin. I've chosen to title this thing, What to Expect While We're Expecting. Because as we study the scriptures this morning, we're going to find a very simple idea that lament gives us a path from the despair of our sin to the mercy and love of God. And I'm a, I call myself an expert on this topic because I get upset over stupid, simple things. I'm often a total jerk on social media. I'm greedy. I know the needs of the world's poor and my neighbors, and yet I spend a good deal of my time and money shopping online for just one more fly rod or one more Patagonia jacket, or one more Milwaukee tool that I don't really need. I'm laying up treasures on earth instead of treasures in heaven. I'm lustful, and for most of my life, I've treated women, and even my own wife, as objects of my visual pleasure, and not as co-workers in the kingdom of God and persons created in the image of God 
reflecting his glory. I'm primarily concerned with my own comfort and pleasure. As a matter of fact, it's a little bit of a miracle that I'm even here (laughs) Sunday morning during hunting season and during one of the last few days of the trout season on the Brule River and I'm not out fishing with John Eck. And I've seen the Holy Spirit do amazing things. I've seen people physically healed with my own eyes. I've seen people receive miraculous gifts and being transformed by the power of Jesus. I've continually experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in my own life. And yet, I frequently have a lack of faith and sometimes I even doubt whether any of this is real. Or if, in reality, we're just all playing a role in some bizarre real-life drama. And some of you might be thinking already, holy smokes, they really do let just about anyone up here, don't they? (laughs) And if that's you, just wait, because there's more. (laughs) Because this morning you're going to hear my own story, and you're going to hear that, along with all these other things that I've mentioned, I'm a person that has chosen their own comfort, their own pleasure, their own safety, over confronting injustice and standing up for people that have been bullied. And too many times I've chosen to take a safe route instead of confronting lies and abusive behavior from church leaders who were my friends. And I'm a child of God who has received grace and forgiveness and hope time and time and time again. And I experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit every day in my life. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. We come before you today, Lord, uh, in this topic of lamenting our sin as sinners, but also boldly as your sons and daughters adopted into your family and given the keys of the kingdom of God. And we thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross, for your bloodshed for us and for the presence of the Holy Spirit in us and among us. Lord, loose my lips that I may bring forth your praise. So to get started with this idea of what to expect, what we're expecting, if you would turn with me to Psalm 130, and we'll read the scripture today. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, O Lord, who could survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than the centuries long for the dawn. 
Yes, more than the centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. So lament. We're having fun yet? (laughs) Go to church, they said. It will be fun, they said. We're talking about sin, they said, right? I've titled, I've titled this thing, What to Expect While We're Expecting, because to a degree we can put ourselves in that psalmist story, but the author of the psalms could only look forward to a promise, the promise of redemption and the presence of God among his people. And what the psalmist could only look forward to anticipation, we get to experience as an everyday reality. God living among his people. First, I want to give you a little background on this Psalms 130. For some of you, maybe there's, I don't know what these Bibles have, there might be a little thing that says, a, a song for pilgrims attending, uh, ascending to Jerusalem. And it might be helpful to understand a little bit about what that means. Psalm 130 is what's referred to as a song of ascent. So these songs were like the original road trip mixtape or Spotify playlist, if you will, that were sung by pilgrims going to Jerusalem. Jerusalem in ancient Israel is actually the highest geological point. And the Israelites were commanded to come to Israel a number of times a year for festivals and feasts and things like that. So these psalms were literally written for the road, on the road. And so this psalm is written for the traveler, someone who's on a journey, someone who's on a road to somewhere. So first step, lamenting our sin. Earlier I mentioned that my wife and I have been in the vineyard for 30 years. To add that to that, this church, the Duluth Vineyard, is the fourth church and the third vineyard that we have served alongside Michael and Brenda Gatlin. And among the 14 years or so that we've been here, I got to be very close with Michael. We spent a lot of time together at his house doing projects, talking about theology, about church or music, over a glass of scotch, smoking our pipes, listening to Van Morrison or Bob Dylan. And I spent many, many wonderful hours like that with Michael. And it's so weird the way our, the way my, our brains work or memories work. Recently, I was driving up Glenwood Avenue from Lakeside, and I had one of those deja vu moments of remembering driving back from Michael's probably way, way, way too late at night with words of Van Morrison ringing in my ears. These are the days by the sparkling river in his timely grace and the treasured fine. This is the love of the one great magician who turned the water into wine. These are the days that we must savor. We must enjoy them as we can. These are the days that will last forever. You've got to hold them in your heart. 
wonderful, wonderful memories that I have that I will cherish and hold in my heart forever. And yet, over the years that I've been here, I've known many of the folks who have led or been on staff or have served in many different ways. And I've been aware that for many of these folks, belonging to and serving at this church has been a very difficult and very painful experience, and much of that pain came from working with the Gatlins. I was recently told that this list of ex-staff members and volunteers was over 80 names long. And in all those times that I spent with Michael, I had plenty of opportunities to talk to him to ask questions about the experiences of my friends, to say, what's going on? Why are all these people leaving? Why are there so many hurt people? But I didn't. Why? I don't know. Maybe it was because I enjoyed our time together too much. Maybe it was because I didn't want to risk losing that. Maybe I was afraid of how Michael would respond. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe it doesn't matter. That why is something that I've been asking myself for 10 months or more now and that I've been talking through with my spiritual advisors. Why did I choose to overlook, ignore, not see patterns of abuse and manipulation that were so evident. And so if you are here today or you are watching online and you are one of those people that was harmed by the Gatlins and you wondered why I didn't say anything, why I didn't see your pain, why I didn't listen or why I didn't notice that you were hurting and ask why you were doing I'm so sorry. I don't have much of a reason or excuse. All I can say is that I've sinned against our holy God and I've sinned against you and I ask for your forgiveness. Now I know that a simple apology isn't near enough and that for many of us who are both victims and bystanders, what is really needed is a long conversation over a coffee not just a simple statement from up here. But maybe this is a start. Back to Psalm 130. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who could survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. So the psalmist here moves from the despondency of their own sin to a corporate confession of sin over the community of God. My despair, my cry, my sin changes to our sins. The I becomes the we. As a, and the, with the writer of this psalm, and many of us here have struggled to do, what do we do with our sin and guilt? I'm sure you've heard more than a few sermons about this. And as I look around the church, I look around the what how I see people responding to this. I see a few options. The first option that comes to mind is basically just giving up. And what I mean is what I mean by this is giving up on the struggle against sin. Giving up 
on trying to follow Jesus. I've tried this method. Wouldn't recommend. And sometimes I hear people say things like, the church has always been, is, and will continue to be corrupt. It hasn't worked for 2,000 years. Why would you think it's going to work now? Or maybe from the personal perspective, it's an attitude of, I've struggled with blank, with lust, with anger, with fear, with greed, whatever, my entire life. Why should I expect things to change? I've tried everything, but every time, it's back to the same old crap. And for some of us, especially those of us who have grown up in the church, maybe one of the messages we've heard our entire lives is that in God's eyes, we are worthless. We've heard countless sermons telling us that we need to get it together, get serious about our faith, or the old-time favorite, just stop sinning. Anyone heard that one? So giving up and defeat, that's one option. Here's another option that um, I see sometimes that, from people, and it's what I call the fun Uncle Jesus, which is kind of a sin. <laughs> what sin <laughs> option? Question. Growing up, did any of you have that fun uncle? You know, that, that maybe younger brother of your dad or mother who uh, was a blast to be around, always acting crazy? I did. It was my Uncle Bill. And I was fun Uncle Doug. Your fun uncle is fun because he acted like you, right? Like a kid. Fun uncle is the one who winks at your little misbehaviors, who lets you get away with things you know your parents would never let you get away with. If you get caught stealing that extra cookie at the family reunion after mom has said, no more, fun uncle Jesus gives you that. Fun uncle gives you a little one. Take another one. You know that fun uncle irritates and frustrates your parents. That's what makes him fun, right? So who is fun uncle Jesus? Well, he's the one that lets you get away with things you know his dad never would. God the Father seems so serious, so strict about so many things. It's like that guy doesn't want anyone to have any fun. But fun Uncle Jesus, on the other hand, while grumpy old dad is losing his mind at your sin, especially in all those terrifying Old Testament passages, fun Uncle Jesus gives you that sly smile that says, you be you, kiddo. YOLO, rock on. And when it comes to sin, sin? What sin? All that stuff that was written long ago by people that barely understood their world and certainly don't understand ours. I want to tell you this morning that that is the Jesus of the social media creation. That is not the Jesus of the Gospels. Because the Jesus of the Gospels said things like, 
If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Or, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. If you love your father and mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Jeez. <laughs> so much for uh, fun Uncle Jesus that giggles about our little whoopsies, right? And one of the big problems I have with that fun Uncle Jesus is when it comes to issues of responsibility and justice, justice he's useless. If I'm at that family reunion and my bigger, older co cousin is picking on me, I don't want someone who will laugh and ignore my cousin's behaviors. I want justice. I want someone to intervene. I want the bullying to stop. That fun uncle Jesus doesn't do any good to anybody who's being mistreated. To that 12-year-old child who was seduced and sexually assaulted by an older man at a church event, that Twitter Jesus is useless and even worse, evil. What she needs is justice. What she needs is intervention. And God's righteous justice is exactly what we are experiencing right now in our community. The Lord said in Isaiah, I, the Lord, love justice. And speaking of this, the uh, theologian Fleming Rutledge wrote, Whenever justice rolls down like waters, it is a sign that God is on the move. Furthermore, provisional victories of justice in this present world, whether large or small, are foretaste of the day of Yahweh. The advent of the day of God, when all injustice will be rectified forever, is the central theme of the prophetic and apocalyptic literature of the Old Testament. So the justice that we are seeing now, even if it comes from the judges and the courts, is a foretaste of the coming day when all victims will be heard and all perpetrators will be brought to account. And everyone, all of us, victims and perpetrators alike, will be brought face to face with the righteous judge of the universe. So if giving up on the struggle of sin or simply redefining or laughing away our sins are not biblical options, what's left? <laughs> what are we to do? Lament. Lament. In his book, Prophetic Lament, Sun Chan Ra writes, In the presence of God, we are all equal. We are all equal in our disgrace and sin, but ultimately we are equal in how we are loved by God. One of the problems with dealing with corporate sin is the inability to connect individual responsibility for sin with corporate sin. The integration of communal lament 
what we've been doing here for the past nine weeks, right, and more. And individual lament shows a connection between corporate sin requiring communal repentance and individual sin requiring individual repentance. Now, if you've been around the church for any time at all, no doubt you've heard lots of talk about repenting for your personal sin. But the idea of being responsible or repenting for sins that a collection of people committed, that might not be as familiar to you. But as we see in the Psalms, it's a very biblical idea. And so, as a longtime member and leader of this church, speaking on behalf of the church to the community of the Twin Ports, we have failed you. We have sinned against you by allowing these terrible sins in our midst. We were supposed to be a refuge, and we became a source of fear. We are called to be a place of healing, but we became a place that caused pain. We are called to be a family, but we have become a source of trauma and dysfunction. We are called to be a holy people, a light a city on a hill, but we have become a source of darkness and sin for too many in the Twin Ports. We deserve your anger and your judgment. And as a faith community, we stand guilty before a holy God for allowing sin to damage the very people we have been called to serve and love. I am so sorry. So in this difficult time when we're facing the reality of our personal and our corporate sin, where do we find hope? Let's go back to the psalm, verse 5 to 6. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than the centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than the centuries long for the dawn. If you've been around the vineyard for any period of time, you've heard us talk about the kingdom of God that is already but not yet. Or maybe the kingdom that has come but is, hasn't been fully realized. And we get this idea from Jesus and the gospel for he spoke in terms of both the kingdom coming in his present ministry yet still coming in his fullness. In the vineyard, we talk about this, spirit, this experience as living in the tension of the already and not yet. You can trust me on this because I wrote a book on it, literally. And it's a little like this. Have you ever cooked, sautéed, broiled, barbecued, or baked something? Anyone? Let's think about this for a moment. Think about that rack of ribs slowly smoking on the barbie all day, or maybe it's your favorite chili recipe on the stove. You've put all the ingredients together, and now that baby is cooking. Every once in a while, you sneak a piece of those ribs, and I believe dads call that checking the progress. Am I right? Right? Or maybe you take a little spoonful of that chili again just to make sure that the stove is doing it properly. And when you test the progress, you can smell and taste 
those amazing flavors beginning to blend together, you get a foretaste of how well you did on the rub on those ribs. Or maybe you decide that the chili needs a little more smoked paprika. So you really are experiencing that meal, but not in its fullness. What you are experiencing is a foretaste of the coming feast. What you are seeing, touching, tasting, smelling is real, but it's not complete. And that is our experience, something like we are experiencing with the kingdom of God. Every single day in this community, we experience this in worship, in loving each other, in hearing God's word being taught, in praying for each other. You need to hear this. God has not given up on our community, and the Holy Spirit is moving here in power. I asked the staff for just a few stories from our recent history. This summer, two women from our community went and prayed for a woman who didn't even attend here. She had a scheduled surgery for a brain aneurysm where doctors had previously placed a stent. Due to the location of the, pro of, of the procedure, the surgeons were extremely cautious about giving her a prognosis. And in the four-hour operation, the surgeon went in and could find no hint of the aneurysm. The lead surgeon told her afterwards, go and live your life. Here's the amazing thing about that. There's more. One of those women who prayed for this woman with the aneurysm is a member of our church who, who herself is going through a tremendous amount of emotional and spiritual healing for her own trauma that she's experienced in this community in the past. She truly is a wounded healer. Over the summer and the fall, we've had people consistently come to faith in Jesus or have renewed our faith, their faith commitments. If any of you have had the pleasure of joining in our worship nights like we did just last Sunday night, you've seen that the power of the Holy Spirit moving with prophetic words and healing and touching us has been overwhelming at times. So what should we expect while we're waiting for that time when God will make all things new? This. This is what we should be expecting. We can't escape the reality of our own sin. We can't escape the reality of the consequences of sins done to others or things we have no control over. And the tension of living in an already, as an already not yet person in an already not yet church will not ever go away until we see Jesus face to face. And so what are we to do in the meantime? We love each other, we confess our sins to each other, and we continue to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit to each other as we wait in hope for our ultimate redemption. In back to our Psalms. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love, his redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. So why do we have reason for hope? 
even in the darkest moments of our sin? As the psalmist says, because with the Lord there is unfailing love and his redemption overflows. But there's even better news. Because what the psalmist could only look forward to in anticipation, we get to experience now. Skip forward, uh, turn with me to the New Testament, if you will, to Romans chapter 8 in your Bible. We're skipping ahead about a thousand years or so to the first century A.D., where Paul is writing a few decades after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and sending the Holy Spirit on the church. He tells us where we are at now in Romans 8.1. We need to hear this, folks. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. None Zero, zilch, nada, no condemnation to us who are in Christ Jesus. Now there's a catch, there always is, because in the previous chapters of Romans, Paul has been making the case that the death and life and resurrection and ascension of Jesus has changed everything. And for those that have accepted those truths and faith, who have changed their allegiance to Jesus and believed in him, God has sent his Holy Spirit not just just to live near, but in them. And for those that are in Christ, as Paul says, there is no condemnation because he himself has redeemed us, us, from every kind of sin. Let's drop down a bit to verses 10 to 11, Paul says. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And one of our pivotal beliefs here at the Vineyard is that we don't just have to talk about the Holy Spirit. We get to experience him. We get to experience the power of God in our everyday lives. And that experience isn't just for like the select few who know enough or the people who have it all together, or the people who look right, or those of us who have been around here. It's for everyone. Say that with me. Everyone. We have a saying in the vineyard that we said that is basically everyone gets to play. And what that means is ministering the power of the Holy Spirit isn't just for John and Brian and Becca and Steph and the staff or people who know enough or have been good enough or have been around here enough. It's for all of us. And in a little while, we'll have people come up for prayer ministry time, people here who have been trained. They get to play. They get to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, people, as they're praying for them. And if you've never done that, if you've never come forward and received prayer from people here, give it a whirl. Because this is so foundational to who we are in the vineyard. Unlike maybe other experiences that you have, 
what we do here on Sunday mornings, it's very much a three-legged stool. The worship, the teaching that you're hearing, and the prayer ministry time, each of those things are just as important as everything else. And so if you're beginning to feel like you want someone to pray for you for whatever, if anything in this or anything God is speaking to you this morning is beginning to make sense in a few minutes, I encourage you to come forward and get prayer for that. And here's a cool thing Hector and the worship team led us earlier in this song. Paul continues to say, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we can live as we are now children of God. In verse 14, for those who have been led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. In that New Testament Greek, that Abba word is basically Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and if we are children, we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, and if we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So for those of us who are following Jesus in faith and have received the Spirit of God, we are no longer slaves to sin, no longer slaves to fear, no longer slaves to the anguish of always having to protect ourselves from harm, no longer alone, no longer struggling against all these temptations on our own. We are now beloved children of God. And this God is not an angry tyrant looking down to punish you for every little sin, every little misdeed you might do, ready to push the smite button. This is a God who sent his own son so we could have relationship with him and we could approach him and say, Daddy, help. Lament, this process of lament that we've been going through, gives us a path from the despair of sin to the mercy and love of God. Admitting our sin, confessing our sin, lamenting our sin, allows us to experience God's grace, the forgiveness of our sins, the restoration of intimacy, and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to pursue life in the kingdom of God. Someone once described this as God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Grace for me. Grace for us. Grace for Michael and Brenda and Jackson and Lindsay. Grace for all the former staff people. Grace for the victims. We're not at the end of this story, right? We're somewhere in the middle. We're all some like those disciples. It's highly likely that the disciple is walking with Jesus as they're going even up to Jerusalem in the final days of Jesus' life. They were probably singing Psalms 130 on the road. 
not understanding that in just a few days, their rabbi was going to be crucified. But none of us know where this faith journey is going to take us, right? The last year of the vineyard has been more than enough proof of that. But here's what we do know. With the Lord, there's unfailing love. His redemption overflows. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Jesus. And we have received a spirit of adoption, and with that, we can now cry out to the creator of the universe, Daddy, help. Hector, your worship ministry team, you guys can start making your way forward if you're out there somewhere. And as we move into ministry time and our worship time, I think there's a few things that uh, the Lord has been speaking to me and um, others about this time. And again, if this lands in you, in a few minutes we're going to ask for a ministry team to come up. And these people are trained. These people are, um, know what they're doing. They're just going to love on you. And the first group of people maybe is if you're here this morning and uh, at this point in time, you're at the top of the bottom. That you can see the trajectory of where your life's choices are taking you. You know it's not a good point and you're at a decision point right now. If that's you and you're ready to just cash this thing in and just forget it, this life is too hard, Come get prayer. There's always restoration. There's always fresh hope. There's always grace. There's always renewal. If you're one of those that's been a victim of others' sin and you're hearing this and you're ready to rush the straight stage and strangle me, <laughs> same thing. We've seen people come and get healed this year. has been hard Yes, but it's also been extremely healing for so many of us. Bring your pain, bring your hurt. Come get prayer. And maybe there are some of you when we talked about the, that always thinking that God is ready to just smite you and you've grown up with that and you still have that picture of God. Come receive his mercy. Come receive his grace. Let the love of God touch you this morning in a way that maybe you've never experienced before. And then finally, for some of you, they're just like, I have no idea, dude, what you are talking about, about this whole Holy Spirit and receiving. I, I just came for the coffee, you know? <laughs> and the concert isn't bad, you know? Uh, and you're laying all this stuff on me, but if that's you and you're just like, on the other hand, the life ain't working so hot for me lately, and you have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus and you don't know what any of this is about, come forward. These people will pray for you. We have some gifts that can get you started in your walk with Jesus. Thank you for coming to the Vineyard Worship Team, folks, if you could make your way to the front. 
Holy Spirit, we thank you for pouring out your love and your power on us. Again and again and again, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, for your forgiveness. Fall on us again in power. Thank you for coming to the vineyard.